From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and my regular co-host Jennifer Shutt is away this week, but we are lucky to have with us today the master of all things budget at CQ Roll Call, Peter Cohn, our esteemed appropriations and tax policy editor. Welcome back, Pete, and thanks for being here. Great to be here, David. It's a rare treat to be uh, allowed to be an alternate on your show. Well, we were lucky to have you. And we wanted to give folks sort of a preview of everything coming down the pike at us right now, because we are headed for what is shaping up to be pretty wild and crazy couple of months, I think, uh, in budget world. And so we want to sort of quickly touch on a lot of topics and a lot of things that we have that, that are going to be hitting us that folks will be interested in knowing about uh, as they follow the budget process, beginning with uh, any, any day now, certainly before Memorial Day, will be the release of, of Biden's first full budget request. Uh, they, they've got a few more weeks. I mean, right now, they're in this sort of weird dance with the Republicans where they're actually trying to sit down and see if there's a bipartisan infrastructure deal to be had. Uh, and, you know, everyone's got their opinions about what's going to happen with that. Nobody really, really knows. Uh, I think, you know, the, the kind of insider betting is that those talks are not going to actually yield uh, a deal, in which case, once the budget comes out and we see all the details of the uh, the actual, you know, you know, fleshing out of the fact sheets that have been released on the Biden plan, that'll be the, the you know, kind of the catalyst for movement on a budget resolution so they can use the reconciliation process. Um, at that point, the appropriations bills will get going as well. And, um, you know, by all indications, they're, they really are serious about doing another reconciliation package to put into effect some or, you know, as much of Biden's proposals as they possibly can, can squeeze in. Yeah. So they're going to be very busy. We know already Biden's discretionary spending request of $1.5 trillion. And so appropriate is going to be using that to get going on their spending bills. Uh, the House Appropriations Chair Rosa DeLauro said yesterday that her committee is going to be marking up bills next month. Uh, and they expect to see House floor action in July, so they're going to be they're going to be busy with with the regular annual spending bills. At the same time, as you say, they're trying to put together this this what is probably a reconciliation package to deal with up to four trillion dollars of of additional spending initiatives that Biden is pushing for infrastructure and what he calls the human infrastructure that's that big education child care and paid leave package um, we don't know yet if that's going to be all wrapped up in one big bow or separate pieces that's still all it sounds like Democrats still don't have a firm game plan on that but that has to and then as you say and in order to do that they need a budget resolution to get that in place uh, we're going to be pretty busy yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty intense summer. I mean, I think starting in starting in June, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has already said that she's got a target. They want to get a bill um, out of the House by uh, July fourth. So uh, that's the, the big, you know, kind of Biden Biden proposals reconciliation. They want to get that out of the House by July fourth recess, and then so the month of June and possibly even in, in starting in late May 
it's going to be, they've got to figure out what are the numbers they have to work with that they can get the budget resolution adopted to give them the reconciliation instructions. That'll also set the top line for the appropriators, which is in and of itself not going to be an easy fight because you have a split about how you deal with defense versus non-defense. This is the first time in a decade those numbers haven't already been preset by, uh, by statutory spending caps. So they're going to have a real fight over there. You know, there's talk about just kind of going, at least initially getting around the budget resolution by doing what's called a deeming resolution, where you're just saying, here's one number, we're just going to vote on that one number. And that's going to what that's going to be what guides our uh, spending bills in the house. It's what they're used to divide up the 12 bills into what they call the, the, the section 302A allocations. Um, so, you know, we could see some start to see some movement on that over the next several weeks. But as you said, David, you know, the appropriations chair, Rosa DeLauro, she wants to get all the bills marked up uh, through the committee in June to to let them take them up in July after presumably at that point, they would have sent the big reconciliation bill over to the Senate to give the House to let the House focus on the on the spending bills in July. So, yeah, it's going to be an incredibly uh, busy period with a lot of moving parts and a lot of things for all of us to to try to keep our eye on, the, on uh, as this goes forward. The July 4 target for that reconciliation bill really seems like a long shot to me. I, I'm, a, I'm a little pess- <laughs> I'm not sure I quite buy into that timetable for, for getting that through. It doesn't even seem like they have a game plan yet. Um, of course, and that, that hinges on the idea that there will be no bipartisan bill on infrastructure where does that stampede? Is you think there's much hope left for bipartisan? It seems they, they they do seem so far apart that it's almost a you know just a fanciful. It's always like kind of like Lucy with the football uh, on infrastructure, but you know there are there are serious talks going on right now. I mean, there's a real interest. There really is an interest. I mean, I, I I've heard this from sources. I mean, the Democratic leadership, uh, Republicans, there is a real interest in doing a bipartisan infrastructure bill. There are a lot of of good reasons to do it politically, policy-wise for the economy. Uh, you know, Democrats don't want to go in, into the 2022 20, midterms just having done everything, you know, rammed everything through on a, on a party line vote. That's not good for some of their more moderate, uh, vulnerable members in the, in the 2022 midterms. Um, Republicans would like to have a tangible accomplishment that they could take back to some of their voters in the midterms as well. They've got a, a number of very important Senate races in, in some swing states like Wisconsin, like Pennsylvania, uh, Florida. So, you know, there is a lot going on there that lends itself to, to doing something. And infrastructure has traditionally been bipartisan. There's no question about it. So, you know, I, I have no doubt that the sincerity is there on the part of both sides. I just think the pressure, uh, and a lot of people I've spoken with would say the same thing, the pressure on, on the Democratic leadership uh, from the administration, you know, they just say that, the time is now. They cannot wait too much longer to get this done. If they wait any longer, you start to get into the midterm year next year, 2022. The, the you know the window for using Biden's political capital is going to is closing. So they've got to get going. They can't wait. Nobody wants to wait around for months and months and months like they did in 2009 with the health care bill. So. You know, they really want to get this moving. So they're going to give talks a few more weeks and they have time. You know, they don't really have to do anything. They, they Basically, they can use the fact that they don't have the full budget proposal from the administration uh, as an, an excuse, for lack of a better word, to keep these, you know, this sort of uh, 
sense out there that they're willing to do a deal with the Republicans. But if Pelosi wants wants a bill done by July 4, they don't have a lot of time. And the problem I see is that, you know, Republicans are trying to do maybe $600 billion on infrastructure. Maybe they'll go up a little, $700 billion, $800 billion. And Biden wants $2 trillion, roughly. Um, there's a huge gap there. I don't see I don't see Democrats coming down that far. And there's no agreement on how to pay for any of it. I mean, there, there's just there's just no there there. There's there's nothing. I think you're going to start seeing them, the Democrats moving forward with the budget and reconciliation process on this on this giant package. You're going to see that even as there are still meetings going on with the Republicans to try to, to, to do a deal, they're going to keep you know, they're going to start moving forward on this as soon as we get the budget at the end of this month or, or you know, whenever we see it uh, before Memorial Day. Uh, that's going to be the trigger. The Democrats are going to get moving on this. They're going to say they're willing to keep talking to the Republicans. They might even say, hey, there's no reason just because it's reconciliation. There's no reason you can't vote for a reconciliation bill. Republicans, you know, there's been bipartisan support for reconciliation bills in the past. You know, the first Bush tax cut is a good example of that. So they're going to they're going to move on two tracks. They're going to talk to the Republicans for for you know for a while longer, but they're not going to stop moving down the other track, which is reconciliation, party line vote, and you know how do we deal with <laughs> with Joe Manchin, you know, in, in the Senate, a West Virginia uh, Democrat, who's really the you know kind of the key vote for the Democrats on everything. Yeah, talk about that for a minute, Pete, because even if they do reconciliation. In a 50-50 Senate, they need every single Democrat on board, and they're not all on board. And you've got Democrats like Manchin who are pretty wary of, of these big tax increases that Biden wants to pay for this thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the kind of the early, you know, assumption out there in, you know, in, in Washington that, you know, from our sources is that, you know, Biden's plans are an opening bid and they're going to get scaled down. Um, you know, ultimately, you're going to see a smaller package. You're going to see smaller tax increases. I mean, you just saw yesterday a number of of vulnerable Democrats from rural districts in the House came out again. You know, and basically said, "Look, we've got to be really careful about imposing capital gains tax on uh, farm assets that have been passed down uh, from generation, you know, to the next. You know, it's a, some a small business owner, family owned business, or farmer." Uh, you know, dies and leaves the farm to his uh, his or her heirs. Uh, that person, under Biden's plan, would get taxed on the full appreciation of that value from potentially decades earlier when the assets were, were when the properties were first purchased. That's a huge. You know, land values have just soared in recent decades. So that is a major, major tax uh, on uh, family farmers who are, of course, just you know, politically sacrosanct, and particularly for a number of vulnerable House Democrats and and senators. I mean, there you know there are people uh, uh, on both sides of the aisle who are very very concerned about this. So yeah, absolutely, some of these things are going to go through the legislative ringer uh, and get and get cut down. And you know, who knows? Maybe they might not even end up paying for some of it. I mean, I think you saw with the jobs report this morning. I mean, the yield on on the ten year Treasury, uh, you know. Tanked, you know, it went immediately on the news, I and mean, it went below one point five percent for the first time in in quite some time. So there is a lot. There's, you know, there is a sense that the economy is still hurting. Um, you know, there is a sense that perhaps we don't want to uh, start layering on, you know, massive tax increases at this time. We have borrowing room. 
uh, we can go to because in, again, interest rates are, are, are still, still extremely low on it by historical comparison. Uh, so maybe they don't end up paying for all of it. You know, uh, Biden says he wants to do that. That's kind of the traditional, uh, thinking on Capitol Hill is we've got to pay for things like this, but they certainly haven't paid for a lot over the last year or so. So, you know, there, there's an attitude that, well, maybe another trillion or so, uh, that gets added to the credit card. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, there have been some Democrats that have said they don't, they're willing to, to do deficit financing. They don't think they do have to pay for everything with interest rates so low and the economy hurting. On the other hand, Biden has been pretty adamant repeatedly that he, he wants any new spending to be paid for. He's been pretty adamant on that. And of course, so have Republicans that they don't want to do deficit spending for this either. Right. I, you know, I mean, it's the old argument. You know, I mean, Republicans, like, you know, never met a tax cut that, you know, did, that needed to be paid for. And so, you know, they, they'll go back and forth on, on, around and around right. and around on this for, for, you know, for all year, you know, and, and ultimately it's whatever formula can get. 50 votes in the Senate uh, and 218 in the House. And whatever that formula that is, if some of it isn't paid for, I mean, Biden's going to sign whatever it is uh, they send to him they're able, that they're able to get through because whatever it is, is going to be a win for this administration. And, you know, like we discussed a few minutes ago, the window for getting those big wins rapidly closes the closer you get to the year of a midterm election when historically the president's party never does well. I mean, there have only been three occasions in the last hundred years when a uh, when the president's party has actually uh, gained seats in the House in a, in a midterm election. So, uh, you know, with redistricting, uh, there, there's just so many headwinds right now against uh, the Democrats maintaining this level of full control of Washington uh, after the 2022 elections. So they you know, there's almost a little bit of a fatalism going on within the Democratic uh, Party that, you know, well, we don't actually think we are going to, to maintain control of everything after the 22 midterms. So we may as well go big and try to just ram everything through on a party line vote right now. So, yeah, you know, shoot for, shoot the, moon. for the moon. Yeah. Um, and Pete, we should say this, this is the first year in a decade that there are no spending spending caps in place here to guide the appropriations process. We talked about the need for a budget resolution, and they may just do what's called a deeming resolution just to pick a top number. But how do they pick that top number? How are they going to get agreement on that? Do they just go by Biden's request, I mean, which is $1.5 trillion? Do they sort of use that as the benchmark and say... That'll be our spending cap for want of a for want of a better alternative, or will that fly? Or how? To- well, I mean, that includes some other things that uh, aren't part of the the three hundred two, the so called three hundred two A number. Uh, you know, that's yeah. going to include the overseas well, contingency operation. You know, war overseas war spending, uh, other so a little other lower things. Than that, gonna, yeah, I mean, the the actual number that's going to be subject to that enforcement mechanism is is going to be somewhat lower. But in any case, it's going to be a higher number than the comparable figure for fiscal 2021, right? I mean, there's no question about that. The question is, how much bigger uh, can it get? You know, uh, there'll be those who say, you know, the spending is already elevated. You know, maybe we just do something in line with inflation, another two, three percent. Of course, the Biden number is much bigger than that. So, you know, there's going to be, there's a real appetite, I think, probably on the, you know, within the Democrat, you know, we could see a scenario where the House moves forward with its own number and its own uh, allocations for, for the spending bills that is substantially higher than what they can get through the Senate. 
because uh, right now the Senate obviously split 50-50. Um, you can do a budget resolution on a party line vote, but they've got, again, they've got to get Joe Manchin. They've got to get Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, um, pe- you know, people like that to vote for uh, the budget resolution. So they don't want to be seen as supporting, a, you know, another, you know, kind of a spending blowout. So, you know, there could be a scenario where the two chambers go into negotiations with totally different numbers. You know, uh, it's, it's quite possible. So we'll just have to see how it, how it plays out. But, you know, certainly as far as the House Democrats go, we're probably looking at a sizable increase over fiscal 2021, probably somewhere, you know, it could be somewhere approaching a two digit increase. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell, you know, it could be somewhere in the five to 10% range. Uh, and then of course they got to figure out how to split that between defense and non-defense because you've got a big contingent of house Democrats who think it should be froze. Defense should be frozen at a minimum. And, and, you know, a lot of them want to, want to see that, that defense budget cut year over year. So, uh, it's gonna, that's, that's sort of an under, under the radar fight that we're going to have that sort of, you know, no one's talking about right now because of all the other big headlines. That'll be an interesting, chaotic process to, to, to watch. And then this is also the first time in a decade where earmarks are coming back. Pete, you had an interesting story this week that really looked at um, how torn Republicans are over whether to request earmarks. Tell us what you found there, because it's very interesting, and it really showed divisions within the, the House Republican caucus. Yeah, I mean, basically, what we're looking at here is there is a, you know, there's going to be a pot of money for earmarks in, in this year's spending bills. But right now it looks like, Demo- you know, and Democrats are basically split. You know, it's, it's like a 50, you know, they have about 50.2% of the house or something like that, because they have a, just this razor thin majority, uh, majority in the house. It's, I think, you know, they have like three, two or three seats basically uh, over the Republicans right now, but they're going to get about two thirds of the earmarks. Because half of the Republican caucus is not requesting them, so you know that's going to that's a real um, problem for the Republicans as they go into the midterms, because there is a big contingent of the Republicans, you know, again close to half, who are going to be blasting the Democrats for you know they said you know this is the swamp at work, right? It's you know we're we're you know bringing home the bacon, uh, and you know these are the where the the bad old days of scandal are coming back. Um, so that's, you know, a Republic, a Republican talking point, but the problem is half of their caucus wants earmarks. So they're the political, you know, kind of potency of that, uh, anti earmark argument is blunted by the fact that they, they don't have that, that cover on their side because such a big contingent of them are supporting earmarks. So, you know, it, it's a little bit less than half of the, of the Republicans, uh, requested earmarks in the appropriations bills. But when you add those who asked for earmarks in the transportation bill, the, the, you know, the separate surface transportation reauthorization that uh, uh, the T&I right. committee is working on, it, it gets some, you know, a little bit over half of the, of the Republicans. So somewhere in that, you know, around half of the caucus is, is supporting earmarks. But at the end of the day, so many of them are not. Most of that money is going to go to the Democrats who are, you know, basically the only Democrat who's not asking for earmarks is, uh, is Katie Porter from California's 45th district, who's, um, you know, kind of busy building a national profile. Uh, as a you know ref- reformer, progressive, uh, and from also from a very very tough uh, district in Orange County in, in California. So it'll be a very it's a very interesting conflict uh, over over who's requesting earmarks and who's not. It's going to be very interesting to see 
uh, how that plays out. As I say, the first time in a decade that they've even had the chance to request earmarks. So it'll be very- I'll just point out one last thing on that is that Kay Granger, the top Republican on the House Appropriations Committee, uh, is among those not requesting earmarks. There are only, I think there are only three member, three Republicans on that on that committee who didn't request them. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Kay Granger was kind of unexpected that she did not. Uh, the, the, you know, again, the lead Republican on, on the committee uh, of jurisdiction on the over in the transportation committee, you know, there, there's there's more bipart much more bipartisan support for earmarks. So it's just it's very interesting. And folks can look up all the earmark requests if they want, because under this new effort of transparency, uh, the House Appropriations Committee has posted all of the member requests for earmarks. Uh, it's up on the committee website. It, it's not on a, in, a, in any category called earmarks. You have to know it's under transparency. But if you if you know to click on transparency. Uh, you'll find the list there. A lot to watch for. Uh, we're going to have a very busy couple of months here coming up, and CQ Roll Call will be covering it all for you. So stay tuned. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. 